You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. <laughs> I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speeder, what's up, man? I'm doing all right. A birthday shout out to my father, who is 57 today. Old Happy birthday to him. Old Man Rivers. I don't know if Philip Rivers is that old, but that's another story. He's an old man, too. Yes, he's an old man, too, with a ton of children. I'm but... just kidding. He's the same age as me. You think you're you're old, so I everybody old. that's the same age as you is old. old. So. That's old. I'm as old as a wrinkly rag. Don't worry. At least you're still close with Tom Bahali in age. There you go. And me, Taba, really good friends, so I'm very happy about that. We have a great show lined up for you guys. A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to Washington Nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster, Charlie Slows. I love the guy. and very excited to get him on again. He's been working really, really hard this year with a very bad team. Great guy. Knows his baseball. We will get into the World Series. We'll get into the Yankees' woes. What the Yankees should do in the offseason and all the kit and caboodle. First things first, we're going to get into the Kyrie Irving crap. Never seems to end with Kyrie Irving as he promotes anti-Semitic film, refuses to apologize, and now suspended by the Nets at least five games. The Nets fire Steve Nash and hire suspended Celtics coach Ima Oduka as the next head coach. And the Knicks hit three-game losing streak, and then last night, breaking that losing streak, coming back and beating the Philadelphia 76ers in the fourth quarter. We will get into the trade deadline, recap the Jets and the Giants, as both of them lose in week eight, our three-for-all picks of the week. We'll get into some World Series conversation as the Strohs are up 3-2 to two against our Philadelphia Phillies. Your our- Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> I just want to see Bryce Harper. That's your bandwagon team. My bandwagon team. I'm not a bandwagon fan. It's like your alternate team. Because I picked them before the playoffs started. I picked Philadelphia to be my surprise team to win the World Series. And they're right now in the World Series, two games away from knocking off the Strauss. Less likely now, Zach Wheeler is apparently dealing with some fatigue, so he's going to be battling for tonight's game. The Mets not expected to be involved in the bidding war for Aaron Judge, Stevie Cohen, a.k.a. Uncle Stevie, speaking out. We'll touch base with the Rangers and the very hot New York Islanders and crunch time. No money line mania this week as they are going to the Breeders' Cup. Anyways, why don't we get into this Kyrie Irving thing because it seems like it's a headliner everywhere we go. Anybody that listens to the Sports Loudmouths knows that I think Kyrie Irving is a jackass. I have never felt like Kyrie Irving was ever a smart basketball player or even a smart man off the court. I stuck up for him with COVID-19. He could speak out for not only the people that take the shots, for the people that don't take the shots. And the man has his own beliefs and his own thoughts because he reads his damn books or he watches his stupid movies. But this story was absolutely disgraceful. When he promotes a film and a book about anti-Semitism and being so disgraceful to the public when they wanted apology and he would not apologize. The only time he became interested in an apology is when they suspended him. When the Nets suspended him for five games or more. 
This man went to Duke. This is also a man that thought that the earth was flat. We have followed racist things around the world. Stupid, crazy things that have happened around the world. Disgusting things have happened around the world. Black Lives Matter was a story, a revolution for black lives. And I followed it. I absolutely believed in everything they did except kneeling to our flag. I agree with some of the things that LeBron James said. I agreed with some of the athletes around the country on what they said as well about what was going on in the world and how disgusting cops and people, what they were doing to African-American people. After listening to this man, and this is a man that followed Black Lives Matter. This is a man that follows every single big story around the country because he loves to speak out, not only on social media, but on his own platform. He literally had his own political protest last year. When he comes out and promotes an anti-Semitic video and book, and Kanye West and Elijah Moore like it on social media, and other people like Kyrie Irving's post. And then people sticking up for Kyrie Irving, saying it's not a big deal. What a disgrace. How could you promote anything about anti-Semitic thoughts, anti-Semitic things, saying that the Holocaust never existed, that four million people never died, and then promote it like it means nothing? In Brooklyn, there are more fans that are Jewish that go and see the games than any race, any religion, any nationality. You're in the heart of New York, the heart of where Judaism is, and you have the audacity to promote an anti-Semitic film, book, to people that love the game of basketball. Not only has he disgraced himself, he disgraced the Nets organization, his teammates, the fans, the whole NBA. Shame on Adam Silver because it took him a week after the complaints and the attacks from not only the press, but the fans on and off the street. The people that were interviewed by the press on and off the street for him to actually step up and actually come out and say that he's going to sit down with Kyrie Irving. The Nets finally suspend this crazy lunatic 72 hours after he promoted this. It is absolutely disgusting that the NBA could sit here today and let this guy actually play the game of basketball. Let this guy actually make millions and millions of dollars because it's a privilege after he would say something so disgraceful, so disrespectful to the public eye. He said so many stupid things in the past, and this one is the worst by far. This is a matter of human rights, human history. This was the largest genocide in the world. Four million Jews were innocently killed. You should not be able to have to discriminate. Yes, Kyrie Irving, we know that there's three million African Americans murdered too. We empathize for all of them, all the cultures. You don't need to single out the Jews. You don't need to single out a community that you're a part of now playing in Brooklyn. That is disgusting, disturbing behavior on your part, Kyrie Irving, and there will be nothing that I will ever endorse of you ever again. Absolutely despicable that you would say anything like that, and anybody saying, I stand with Kyrie, I'm supporting what he's doing, please, for the love of God, get help. Because that is not somebody you should be standing by. He is discriminating against human rights, ancestors, new generations of Jewish people that had their relatives get innocently killed for no reason.
whatsoever. This is absolutely disgraceful. You're being a hypocrite. You stand for Black Lives Matter, which is a worthy cause. But you don't need to discriminate. You don't need to single out anybody. It's very sad what happens in a lot of different cultures throughout human history. There's no need to be selective. Feel the pain. Feel the sympathy for all of them. But yet, no. You just single yourself out, and now I hope you lose every endorsement you have and get Nike, suspended for the entire season. Nike suspended him for his new shoe that was supposed to come out, the Kyrie 8. A statement from the Brooklyn Nets over the last several days. We have made repeated attempts to work with Kyrie Irving to help him understand the harm and danger of his words and actions, which began with him publicizing a film containing deeply disturbing anti-Semitic hate. We believe that taking the path of education in this challenging situation would be the right one and thought that we had made progress with our joint commitment to eradicate hate and intolerance. We were dismayed today when giving an opportunity in a media session that Kyrie refused to say he has no anti-Semitic beliefs nor acknowledge specific hateful material in the film. This was not the first time he had the opportunity, but failed to clarify. Such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing, is against the values of our organization, and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. We have decided that Kyrie will serve a suspension without pay until he satisfies a series of objective remedies, measuring that address the harmful impact of the conduct and the suspension period served is no less than five games. So the Brooklyn Nets speak out finally stating what he did was absolutely disgusting. They asked him to speak out and apologize. He would not do so. It took a suspension for Kyrie Irving to go on Instagram and speak out on this. It is a disgraceful, disgraceful thing. For all those things that have happened over the last two or three years with Black Lives Matter, all the players, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Tremont Green, Steph Curry, they all spoke out against everything that was going on in the world. Kyrie Irving, their peer. Why did Chris Paul not reach out to Kyrie Irving? Because he's in charge of the Players Union. Why didn't Chris Paul reach out to him and speak to him about this? This is a hate thing. Everybody talks about equality. The NBA promotes equality. The NFL, the NHL, the MLB, every big association in professional sports promotes equality. And for anybody to promote something so disgusting shows you how illiterate Kyrie Irving really is. LeBron James, shame on you. Kevin Durant trying to push this to the side like it's nothing. Are you kidding me? Hopefully we can get past this. Like it was nothing. Push it under the rug. It means nothing. Chris Paul, where are you with all this? Mr. Players Union. Steph Curry. Mr. I love to speak out. Where are you? Draymond Green, you got your own podcast. I haven't heard you say anything about this. Shout out to Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and all the people, analysts, that stand up after Kyrie Irving attacks a religion, a bunch of people that have been nothing but abused at the Holocaust. It is a disgusting film, and anybody that wants to listen to an illiterate idiot, then keep following him. The best thing to do to Kyrie Irving is unfollow him. The best thing to do is have Elon Musk ban him from Twitter completely. (laughs) He's a disgusting person, disrespectful, and he's not even worth my time. I believe in equality. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. 
I don't speak about religion or politics on my radio show. You know why? Because it causes wars. It causes fights. It causes people to hate you. So I don't talk about this. For anybody to think that Kyrie Irving is right or he shouldn't be attacked the way he has been attacked on social media and throughout the press, shame on you. This is a disgrace. He is a disgrace. The Brooklyn Nets as an organization are a disgrace. To bring in Uma Adoka, a guy that has not only been suspended by the Boston Celtics, but a guy that everybody has said he has reached out to numerous amount of women employees with the Boston Celtics and sent them disgusting texts. This is a man that was married, had kids. Maybe his marriage was going downhill. How could he do something like this? How could the Brooklyn Nets bring in a guy that was suspended for the season and now is the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets for the rest of the season? How could you do that in the biggest press in the biggest city of the world? biggest PR nightmare right now with Kyrie Irving. Why do you want to ruffle on it further by having a hiring of a guy that's suspended, a guy that said disgusting texts, abusive language we've heard from a lot of female employees. They're thinking it could be up to five now that they've sent, and who knows what this investigation could conclude with that. Who says it's not going to carry over to the Nets in, in terms of the culture, too? Female employees with the Nets, there's plenty of them on that staff, too. I'm sure they're not happy with that. And those players, I mean, they're out of whack as it is, but still, it's not something that you could definitely say is going to transform a team culture, either. Terrible Sean Marks. It's been absolutely terrible by the Brooklyn Nets organization. The organization needs to figure out who they are as an identity. The fact that Kevin Durant can sit there and do absolutely nothing, not only with this, with the Kyrie Irving thing, how could Kevin Durant actually promote Ima Adoka as the new head coach of this organization? I understand he likes him. I understand he was part of this organization a couple of years ago. He was working under Kenny Atkinson. A lot of people thought he was going to be the next Brooklyn Nets head coach. But the Celtics swapped right in and took him. He went all the way to the finals last year. Everybody thought, oh, wow, he's a great head coach. And then this story came out. If I was a Kyrie Irving fan or if I actually owned a Kyrie Irving jersey, I would go out to my backyard like all the Cleveland Cavalier fans did when LeBron James picked up and left. And that wasn't even bad. He just picked up and left to play with the Miami Heat with his friends Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Everybody in Cleveland burned his jersey. And he went back and still won a championship for him. This is even worse. I think everybody that is a Kyrie Irving fan that owns a jersey of his should go back in their backyard, take a metal can, and burn his jersey because he's nothing but a disgrace. He is a free agent after this year. Not only should the Brooklyn Nets not re-sign him in the offseason, I don't think any team should sign him. I don't care how talented he is. He is a horrible human being. Him, Kanye West, Elijah Moore, they're all meant to be with each other. And Elijah Moore, for all the garbage that you've been talking about the organization of the New York Jets, after how many players, Brees Hall, Elijah Veritaka get hurt, your peers get hurt, and you're selfish enough to complain that you don't touch the ball enough, and then agree with Kyrie Irving's antics, shame on you. I don't want you here in New York. You don't belong here. I don't understand why anybody could think that you are a good human being. You're just a dumb kid. And Kyrie Irving, 30 years old, he's a dumb kid too. What a disgrace. A disgrace for the NBA. Adam Silver should suspend him for the season. This shouldn't be five games. It should be a 
season-long suspension. All you Brooklyn Net fans, if you have Nets tickets, I would get rid of them. And if you go to those Net games, I would boo the hell out of them. Forever. I don't want to accept his apology. His apology is not from the heart. His apology was forced upon him after he got suspended by the Brooklyn Nets. Sounded like a half-assed kid. It's just a disgusting, disgusting thing. There's nothing more to say about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and this clown of an organization. They are clowns. And that's why they are where they are. I'm not even going to waste my time following this organization anymore. It's a disgrace. It's a joke. Everybody thought that the Knicks were a complete joke of an organization ran by James Dolan. And yes, he is a racist guy. It's been proven he's been a racist guy. But nevertheless, James Dolan would never do this. James Dolan never came out and attacked anybody's race, religion. None of the players or management that's ever worked under James Dolan or part of his team or his organization ever took shots at religion and anti-Semitic views. It is a disgrace. And the New York Knicks, they lost three in a row. They won yesterday against the 76ers. If the season were to end, it's still early. They'd be in the playoffs. It's the beginning of the season. It's still a work in progress for the New York Knicks. And hopefully Tom Thibodeau could get some of these young players to play. Obi Toppin looks like he's becoming a really good player. They didn't trade Grimes. You see what's going on over there in Cleveland. You see the greatness of a guy named Donovan Mitchell. The NBA needs to figure this out. It's early in the season. And of course, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets are centerfold in the clown division. Play circus. He had the Celtics with the Udoka. Now he's with the Nets. So I'm sure the Celtics are so excited that he is gone from that organization. They didn't even get anything for him. They were like, just take him, please. It was a PR nightmare for the Boston Celtics. And the Knicks look like they're geniuses right now. As dysfunctional as the Knicks have been in the past, the Knicks have never had a single week as bad as what the Nets have gone through. By the way, Jalen Brunson, he's one of the best point guards right now in the NBA. He is one of the top five point guards right now in the NBA. So for everybody that thought that was a bad contract, that was a fantastic contract for Leon Rose. Four years, $104 million contract. Fantastic contract. They have control of him for four years. An elite point guard in the NBA. R.J. Barrett, great contract. The Randall one, not so much. The Mitchell Robinson. All those contracts. Great contracts. Tradable contracts. If they want to rebuild this team a lot faster than anybody thinks they could. Are the Knicks a playoff team? They're a borderline playoff team. If you are a Knicks fan, you wait until next year. Try to draft some good pieces. Make some moves at the trade deadline. Get rid of some players. Next year, build around your talent. Your youth. And actually play them. Assuming that Thibodeau's there. Yeah, (laughs) well, if they don't make the playoffs this year, he won't be. Good riddance. But it's not about the Knicks anymore. They're not even a story anymore. They're that little ant feeder. And the Knicks are the godfathers of New York. The grandpas of New York. As the baby brother, the Brooklyn Nets have become the headlining story here in New York. If you're a Knicks fan, you should be very happy. If you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, oh well. Because I know a bunch of people that are getting rid of their tickets. Season ticket holders. Because of what Kyrie Irving did. So the only thing that it hurt was the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving sitting there. He thinks this is funny. He thinks this is okay. He's going to play again, and he's going to get a big contract next year. If I was all 30 teams in the NBA, I'd say I won't touch that guy when he becomes a free agent. Show him that he isn't bigger than the game. That's how you teach a player like that a lesson. You want to speak out? You want to attack something that you know nothing about? We're not signing you. We're not giving you nothing. We'll give you a player's minimal. That's all you're worth. Absolutely disgusting. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some big-time football. Not for the Jets. As Zach Wilson throws three interceptions against the evil empire of the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick gets another Jets quarterback to see ghosts. When we come back, we will get into the New York Jets and the New England Empire State Tiller Patriots and more in the NFL here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Petey, remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going iOS. WWSRN or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, it's been a crazy week in sports. And the weather, it's like summer right now. Over the last couple of days, it's actually hit a high of 75, moving from 68 to 75 all week. It's crazy. We're in November. It's supposed to be fall weather, two, three weeks away from winter. Really crazy. I don't like this weather, but football teams and the New York Jets and the New York Giants playing at home could be very happy with this wonderful weather to play in football. I was expecting some cold weather. The Jets will be seeing some cold weather in the second half as they got to go up to Buffalo and New England. It will be cold probably in the next couple of weeks. But why don't we get into the Jets? And I can mock a lot of things that the Jets did wrong in that Patriots game. And it wasn't in the first half. It was in the second half. Things started to get away in the second half because of one play in the second quarter with about two minutes left. And Franklin Myers caused it. It was a pick six by Michael Carter II. Runs it in for a touchdown. It would have made the game 17-3. And if the Patriots kicked that field goal because of Zach Wilson's interception, because he forced it, if he was up 17-3, they probably would have ran the ball out for the rest of the quarter, and they would have went into the second half. It would probably have been 17-3. Jets and the Patriots had the ball in the second half. But no, Franklin Myers hits Mac Jones, which was not a penalty. And I don't understand why these referees seem to like to give Bill Belichick and that New England Patriots any call in MetLife Stadium. It is the Jets' home. And if you watch the replay of that hit, he hit him right when he released the ball. And when he hit him, he pushed him. He shoved him. And he flopped on the ground. He was throwing that interception no matter if he hit him or he didn't. He forced the ball in a pocket where there was two Jets' corners. Gardner was behind him. Michael Carter was right in front of him. He intercepted the ball, ran it right in. We thought the game was over. But all it started was the Jets' collapse. Because as soon as that happened, Robert Sala was bitching on the sideline. And all the crazy things happened at the end of that quarter. The quarter ended 10-6 when it could have ended 17-3 Jets. And then the Patriots take the ball in the second half, bring it all the way down, score a touchdown. That was the end of the game. And Zach Wilson had a chance many, many times in the third and fourth quarter to get this team back into the game. And he made some mistakes as well as he should. He's a second-year player. He is not a rookie, but he's also a player that had no preseason. Everybody's going to say, well, he played four games. This is his fifth game, so that was his preseason. Not when you don't throw the ball enough. Not when you had Brees Hall running the ball 90% of the time. Now the Jets have to depend on Zach Wilson's arm and him understanding the offense, where the offense has always been complexed. How many times have we heard everybody talk about Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan's offense? It's been and always was complexed. You look at all these coaches that have been successful under Mike Shanahan or Kyle Shanahan. How many guys that have jobs right now under that tree? You sit here today and Jet fans would rather a plumber play than Zach Wilson. Don't be surprised if they start begging for Mike White the way they keep reacting. Let this kid play out this season. Let's figure out who they are as a team. And maybe 
for all those press people all over YouTube and on ESPN and CBS that love attacking this kid. Meanwhile, going into that game, he was 4-0 and as a starter for the season, taking over for Flacco. Now all of a sudden he's 4-1 and and he threw three interceptions. And I don't care about his statistics because Josh Allen's numbers in his second year, they're not good. It was the third year with transition, Josh Allen's career. That's when he took his team all the way against Kansas City in the playoffs. Now you're seeing what he is as a star quarterback. I think a lot of Jet fans need to sit back and realize that they have had a tremendous amount of injuries this year on the offensive line, which has been putrid with the injuries. They lost Mekhi Beckham for the season. This is a guy that was one of their top draft selections two and a half years ago. The guy hasn't been on the field in almost two years. You sign a great offensive tackle in Dwayne Brown. He's not healthy. He has a tear in his rotator cuff. He's probably going to need surgery in the offseason but he's still playing. George Font's out. Max Mitchell's out. They have Herbig, who's played fantastic for the Jets. Great pickup for Joe Douglas in the offseason for Philadelphia. A young guard that actually could play the position. Lincoln's playing, but he's fighting injuries. He brings in this Remmer kid and all these other guys. Guys that are past their prime as NFL players. But he brought him in because he's trying to use those positions as a band-aid for the offensive line. Losing Brees Hall, who could have been an all-pro player this year. Definitely a pro ball player. And Elijah Farrah Tucker, who honestly was the best offensive lineman all season long. He played multiple positions. Left tackle, right tackle, right guard, left guard. The only position he didn't play this year on that line was center. And he played it with ease. Every single week. And losing a player of that magnitude absolutely hurts the Jets. And absolutely hurts Zach Wilson's growth. But Jet fans don't want to hear that. Jet fans don't want to cry about that. No. They want to cry about how bad, how baby-like Zach Wilson is. Why does he throw with his back leg? He's not really a franchise quarterback. He's a Ryan Tannehill type of talent. How the hell do you know that? We don't know what Zach Wilson is. Not yet. I bet you by the end of this year, we'll know what he is. Because if he can get this team in the playoffs, no matter if he throws the ball 4,000 yards, 3,000 yards, or 2,000 yards, if he gets this team in the playoffs, this young New York Jet team in the playoffs, that's a miracle. Because this team is a year ahead of anything they thought they were going to be. This year was supposed to be next year. And next year was supposed to be the year after. Mike LaFleur is one of the worst offensive coordinators in professional football. He shouldn't have a job. I know he's Robert Sala's friend. I know he's Matt LaFleur's brother. And Robert Sala was Matt LaFleur's best man. And they're buddy-buddy. So what does that mean? We have to keep Mike LaFleur because you're buddy-buddy with his brother? Mike LaFleur has been absolutely horrendous. He is hurting Zach Wilson's growth. And the reason why has to do with coaching. Mike LaFleur has always been a guy that's been very stubborn with his offensive schemes. Reluctance to use certain players have definitely hurt them in certain games this year. Even games that they've won have been uglier because of that. Now, in this game, I thought Bill Belichick was going to try to take out Garrett Wilson. He tried to take out Denzel Mim. Garrett Wilson was able to emerge looking good for the first quarter and a half. The routes he was running, he had that jet sweep that got a big chunk of yards, and they were doing good concepts all of a sudden. I thought Mike LaFleur was actually coaching well, and then all of a sudden, he just went away from it. He just changed his mind all of a sudden. The second half game plan was just awful. As for Zach Wilson, Jets fans, I wouldn't just overreact. God forbid a young quarterback has one bad game out of five games that they've played this season. Look at Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert won Rookie of the Year. He played awful against the Patriots his rookie year. Are Chargers fans trying to run out Justin but Herbert? You, do you know why Jet fans can't stand Zach Wilson? Because they were so worried about numbers. They want to see three touchdowns. They want to three 350 yards, and they want to see him dominate the air. That is is not right now Zach Wilson's game. 
And it's also not the circumstances. Look at all the offensive linemen that are hurt. I said last week, Elijah Vera Tucker's injury was more brutal than Brees Hall because Elijah Vera Tucker is a very unique prototype of an offensive lineman that not every team has one of on their roster. Like, there's only a few guys that can move around the way Elijah Vera Tucker does. And play at the top of his game. Yeah. So you're not going to just replace that overnight in terms of those concepts. That takes another element of your game away. You get a new running back in James Robinson you just trade for. He was a little rusty coming over. He hasn't been playing a lot recently with Jacksonville. You'll see more of him this week. Yeah, you should. But still, this game was just a bad opportunity for that kind of thing to happen. And then you have a guy in Bill Belichick who's been a defensive wizard for a while. Especially against the Jets. Right. Will know how to take away your top tendencies. And Denzel Mims was considered that security blanket last week in the second half. So they took him away. And Garrett Wilson did his thing. He played a great game. But that was really it. Yeah, rough in the plaster call. Definitely questionable. But you look at the discipline as a whole. Still wasn't great. It looked like very much a lot of last season, too. And Robert Sala is supposed to be known for his discipline. There were a lot of close calls with these other late hits, too, that maybe could have been called because that kind of thing could definitely cost them. And then there's the New York Giants. And I know a lot of Giant fans thought going into Seattle, this was a win-win for them. It really became a loss. And I believe Geno Smith has been one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. He has played fantastic this year. The offensive line has been one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. This offensive line was one of the worst offensive lines for five years under Russell Wilson. They trade Russell Wilson to the Broncos. They get all those picks. And then they rebuilt that offensive line in one offseason through the draft. And now Geno Smith is eating the berries of that offensive line because you can't touch him. He is getting more than five seconds to get that ball out of the pocket, either running or throwing it. It's been fun. This is a great story. For all the trials and tribulations that we've seen Geno Smith played for both New York teams. He was drafted by the Jets. He played for the Giants. As we know, the whole story with Eli Manning. And then he went to Seattle. And he has been one of the highest paid backup quarterbacks for years. Now finally he's getting his chance to be a starter again. And he's blossoming. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's the offense. Maybe it's just the understanding of how to play the game now. Something that he didn't know when he played for the Jets and the Giants. And again, it's also something that's a different concept from what we've seen Geno Smith be in the past too. We've seen the Seahawks definitely evolve a lot of the plays in the Giants game too. He was extending plays very nicely and a lot of those passes ended up being dropped. These receivers actually kind of let him down at certain points during that game. So Seattle could have won that game by even more. They were running routes very well. Lockett had a couple dropped passes. Metcalf had one on the sideline that was catch he should have made that was dropped. And Geno Smith was pinpoint accurate in a lot of parts of the field too. Against a Giants secondary that's been pretty good this year. Julian Love, who's been one of the better coverage safeties in the league, probably had his worst game of the season. Adoree Jackson, he did have that nice play for the fumble recovery, but beyond that was kind of up and down. And then Xavier McKinney was a non-factor in that game too when it came to coverage. He had a couple of penalties. And the Giants, they don't have as much talent as the Jets. They're rebuilding the team under a new coach in Dable. And he's taken over this team with a new GM and a new everything. They're going to rebuild this team through the draft just like the Jets, just like every other team. And I, I'm not going to blame Jones. Daniel Jones did what he needed to do in the game. I don't blame the coaching either. They just walked into a wall, a very hot wall in Seattle. Seattle's defensive coaching was exquisite in that game. Really did a good job taking away the flats. They did a good job taking away those screen passes that they used a lot of. In the By the way, Walker, the running back over there in Seattle is fantastic. In his last three games, he has more yards run by carry than any running back in the NFL. It's really unbelievable. 
The best thing that could ever happen, and I'm not wishing hurt on any player, is when Penny got hurt and they had to bring Walker in. That changed everything. Don't forget about this, too. Chris Carson retired in the offseason, too. He was stealing carries there, too. Maybe they don't even draft Kenneth Walker if that happens. Unbelievable. Really, really fun to watch. And the Giants lost a game that they really had no business even being in. Between all their mental mistakes, too, the two fumbles, a lot of the penalties like you were talking Seattle about. Seattle kept them in the game. Leonard Williams did have a couple penalties, too, but he actually played well for the most part. He had his first sack in there. Finally game. had his first sack, but they took away the outsides. Seattle's two tackles won the outsides, and that was a big, tough test for the Giants defense to have to adjust to. They actually contained Walker all right in the first half, but once he got going, he got going, and Seattle really just seized the game after that. It was fantastic, but the game was really, really good. It came down to the fourth quarter, and I just thought Seattle throughout the game was better. They had the better quarterback. They had the better coach, and I'm not taking shots at Dable. If the season were to end right now, Dable is the head coach of the year. Not far behind. Might be Pete Carroll. (laughs) Pete Carroll, after losing Russell Wilson in the offseason, everybody said, rebuild time. It isn't a rebuild season. They have a chance to win that division. They have a chance to be a wild card team in that NFC. And if they get into the playoffs with that offensive line, with a hot quarterback, and with a defense playing as well as they are, and a secondary, Woolen, rookie of the month, and Walker was offense, this team could very much surprise a lot of people in the playoffs and might even go to the NFC title game. All you need is good defense and a good running back. You can build around the trenches, and you can win. And you can win with Geno Smith. Ask the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. And that's not saying much, because Dak hasn't won anything. But Geno is the spinning image of Dak Prescott. He's a quarterback that has... Good feet can run inside and out and can make every single throw. And Dak could do that, too. And you see what the Cowboys are doing right now. They won last week, too. When we come back, we're going to get into the trade deadline and our three-for-all picks of the week here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder. Yes, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This has been a crazy deadline. The most trades in NFL history at the NFL trade deadline. It keeps going up and up and up every single year. The two trades that really stood out, and there were two of them. Bradley Chubb, the linebacker of the Broncos, and a fifth-round draft pick head over there to Miami for Chase Edmonds, a 2023 first-round as well as they need, and a 2024 fourth-round draft pick. I think this was a great trade for Miami. They need a pass rusher. They're fighting right now in a division that has a tremendous amount of talent, a tremendous amount of defense, and when they played the Jets a couple of weeks ago, they could not get to Zach Wilson. And that's why the Jets came up as the winners of that game. Bradley Chubb was a big trade. Roquan Smith was the other one. Roquan Smith, a star linebacker from the Chicago Bears, heads to the Baltimore Ravens as they just get richer. They gave up linebacker A.J. Klein a 2023 second-round pick and a 2023 fifth-round pick. I think this was a great trade for the Baltimore Ravens. I was very surprised that Chicago would just trade their best defensive player away for a second-round draft pick. He is still one of the top three linebackers 
linebackers in the NFL. He's young. They're definitely going to have the opportunity to resign him in the offseason. So I think those are the two trades that really stood out, Speedy. What trades did you like? Definitely in terms of the value, the Roquan Smith one I think was the best value because he's definitely a first-round talent, a linebacker that it took a little while for him to get going for what the eighth overall pick was. But since then, he's been very steady and very durable, too. I'm going to also look at the other one the Bears traded, too. Robert Quinn going to the Eagles, too. I think that's a big thing for them. We've seen how Roseman loved to trade for extra pass rushers in the past, but this is actually a time when they actually need it more because Brandon Graham is older. Derek Barnett is out for the season now, so they don't have the same level of depth that they used to have when it came to all those lethal pass rushes. They still got the interior very strong with Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis in the interior, but they needed the edge help, and I think that ends up being a very sneaky good trade for the Eagles, the undefeated Eagles. A lot of stars got traded at this trade deadline. Bradley Chubb, Roquan Smith, Christian McCaffrey, and James Robinson, he's not a star, but he's a great player. He was traded to the Jets for nothing, too. A six-round draft pick. Calvin Ridley gets traded all the way from Atlanta That's a fascinating to the Jaguars. Yep. Calvin Ridley won't play for the rest of the season, but he is going to be a damn good player next year as they're starting their number one wide receiver over there with Jacksonville and a young quarterback. And you have Kirk now and Ridley. I mean, you have a good duo over there. That's a fascinating one because Atlanta is going to get a second-round pick if Ridley does play like he did in that last season before he had to step away from the mental health then turn into gambling, obviously. But still, they're going to get a second-round pick out of that. Otherwise, it just becomes a fourth-round pick. So Jacksonville, a team not normally known for getting bargains, will end up getting a bargain. If Ridley doesn't play as well, but it's still a steady point in their offense. The other one I like, too, is Jonathan Hankins going to the Cowboys. Helps up their interior. Their edge depth is insane right now, but their interior has been very questionable, and they just get it for just a sixth-round pick. I always liked him as a giant. He's a veteran guy, and definitely a guy that Dan Quinn can definitely make useful in that defense, which he's done a tremendous job and probably is going to get a head coaching job next TJ Hawkinson goes to Minnesota for a fourth this year and a 2024 conditional fourth-round draft pick. The Minnesota Vikings won this trade. I think so, too, yeah. What did the Lions get? A second round? A two and a a three next year. It's crazy. Chicago gets their wide receiver and Chase Claypool. Does that help Justin Fields? I don't know. He's not a number one. I would say Chase is a number two. But he's a good counter to Darnell Mooney because he's kind of the opposite skill set. Mooney's a smaller guy that's quick, good deep threat. Claypool's a big guy. Everyone of them drafted as a tight end, and it's kind of the opposite. I don't think either of them are number one receivers, but they might complement each other well. What did the New York teams do? Kadarius Toney gets traded from the Giants to Kansas City for two 2023 picks, one a third, and the other one a sixth round pick. And the Jets got James Robinson a little bit earlier before the trade deadline was over. They got him for a sixth round draft pick, could be a fifth. And the Jets also traded away Jacob Martin, a very depthful defensive line now. You have Jermaine Johnson coming back this week. They didn't need Jacob Martin. It was Played pretty well for the Jets in their defense. He gets traded to his hometown in Denver. The Jets also trade away a 2024 fifth-round draft pick for the Broncos' 2024 fourth-round draft pick. A lot of the other trades, they were just add-ons. Nothing really that stood out might change a team. Robbie Anderson gets traded to the Cardinals by the Panthers for a sixth and a seventh. That doesn't mean anything. Justin Haran gets traded to the Patriots from the Lonely Raiders. Nothing else that I saw really stuck out. The only other one that's kind of interesting, William Jackson goes to the Steelers. Been a pretty good corner in the past with the Bengals. That was a move I thought Minnesota should have definitely tried to pull the trigger on. Even though it's a big contract, they need an outside corner like that if they're going to want to do well in the playoffs this year because the rest of their defense is pretty much set. I know they had an injury with the rookie safety scene at the beginning of the year but still, the rest of their defense has been strong especially against the run too, but they really need some corner help, especially in a passing league. So why don't we get into our three-for-all picks of the week? We'll start with the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona 
Cardinals. The over-under for this one is 49 and a half. This is going to be a tight one. Both these teams have had issues in the red zone so far. You mentioned Kenneth Walker in the last segment running the ball very well. I think he'll do so again against the Cardinals who have trouble against the run. But the Cardinals' pass defense and their pass rush has actually been pretty good this year. We've seen them contain a lot of top receivers. Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup this year. I think they'll be able to do that to one of those receivers. And offensively, Kyler Murray, I think, has a big game in this one. Seattle's had trouble with running quarterbacks this year. The Cardinals need this game. I'll take them on the under. Can you say Geno Smith, baby? Absolutely. I'm taking Seattle in this game. You were talking about Kenneth Walker. You're talking about this defense. You have the offensive rookie of the month. You have the defensive rookie of the month in Woolen. There's nothing bad to say about this. And Pete Carroll could be coach of the year. Everything they're pulling, it's really working. The offensive line's been fantastic. DK Metcalf is back. He's catching the ball. Tyler Lockett, if he doesn't fumble the ball, he's catching the ball. And Geno Smith has been fantastic. I think Seattle's going to go into Arizona. I think they're one of the better teams in the NFC. And they're going to shock everybody and knock off the Cardinals. Give me the Seattle Seahawks on the over. All right, next game, the L.A. Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Pretty much season on the line for both of these teams. 42 and a half, the over-under for this one. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams in this one because they've had the edge when it comes to Sean McVay's offense versus Todd Bowles' defense for a while. Tampa won one matchup in 2019. That was a wacky game. It was like 48-34 to 34 or something like that. But beyond that, they've owned the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers losing Shaq Barrett for the year, that's going to hurt their defense. Their defense has not been the same since the Chiefs game. I think offensively they'll be able to take advantage of that. So I'm going to take the Rams on the over in this one. Oh, I have the Rams too. I don't know what's going on with Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's not the same quarterback. He doesn't have much of a life anymore. You don't have kids. I'm just kidding. I feel bad for Tom Brady. I really do. He decides to come back and play football with Todd Bowles and that lonely Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, and they might not even make the playoffs this year, and he's going to ride off into the sunset for maybe the first time he's never made the playoffs. It's crazy. I think since his second year in the league. This is a guy that's been consistently in the playoffs and might not make the playoffs this year. It's remarkable. But, yeah, I got the Rams in this game. I think they're the better team. I think they have the better offense right now, even though Matthew Stafford can't throw a deep throw. So I got the Rams on the over as well. All right, the last game, Kirk Cousins' return to Washington. The Minnesota Vikings and the Washington Commanders. The over-under for this one is 43 and a half. And Kirk Cousins is going to have to play well because Washington's done a nice job stopping the run this year. Kevin O'Connell's been a guy that's been an efficient running scheme, but not really an overly loaded running scheme with Cook and Madison. So I think they're going to throw the ball a lot. I think Cousins does play well in this game. And I think losing William Jackson, they'll be able to spread the ball around more. I think both Thielen and Osborne get more involved in this offense too. TJ Hawkinson, I think it'll take a week for him to get into this system, a very complicated system, but he's going to be impactful as a blocker too because Chase Young's coming back as well. So I'm going to take the Vikings in this one. Cousins gets his revenge on his former team. I'll take them on the over. There is a player coming back from injury. Mr. Pass Rusher himself. I think the Washington Commanders at home, Taylor Henneke, I think they're going to go in at home and shut everybody up. I think Minnesota's a lot more overrated than people think. Chase Young coming back, Taylor Hankey playing the way he is, and Terry McLaurin and Gibson. They just have a tremendous amount of offense, and their defense has played pretty well in the last couple of weeks as well, ever since Taylor Hennecke has taken over as the quarterback of this team. I do believe this will be the end of Carson Wentz. I think they should just ride with Taylor Hennecke and see what he is and see what this team is. I'm going to take 
The Commanders on the under. Just in that defense, huh? I'm going to pick the opposites this week and see where they fall. I really think the way football has been this year, there's been a lot of upsets, and I still think the Minnesota Vikings are one of the more overrated teams in the NFL, especially the way they've played the last couple of weeks. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to Washington Nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster Charlie Slows here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, Killers on a show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out our network, our website at Worldwide Sports radio.com all our shows throughout the week our show the sports loud mounts that air on wednesdays and thursdays it's a fantastic network it's been around for eight years with some of the best shows throughout the country now our best guest we are now talking to washington nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster charlie slows charlie what's up bud just hanging around and into my off season here you are the older version of your son it's crazy how much (laughs) your son looks like you alex slows he does a radio show on our network. It's a wrestling show. He's taken a leave of absence because he's working over there at the news station in Tampa. He's doing a great job over there. And Charlie has been pushing his son through and giving him the tips that he needs to be successful as a broadcaster. And he wants to do wrestling. Hopefully, he'll be doing other sports where he has the opportunity to succeed like his father has over the last 30 years. So, Charlie, how are you feeling? I know you were a little sick. I'm good. I'm doing much better. The off-season came, traveled home. As soon as I got home, came down with a head cold, if you're allowed to have one of those these days. Just- <laughs> I know all about it. I don't understand the weather over here. It's fall. It's summer weather. I can't wait until it gets freezing out where I can actually enjoy the breathing method, what I love about the winter. But anyways, let's get into some baseball. There's the World Series going on, Philadelphia and the Houston Astros. I know you're not a big fan of the Philadelphia Phillies because you're a Nationals guy, but you have a player over there, Bryce Harper, who you know very, very well. Lost the opportunity to win a World Series with your Nationals, and then they win after he decides to sign with Philadelphia. And then there's the Houston Astros, a cheating organization. They have a great pitching staff. They have a great bullpen. Their lineup has not shown up so far in this series. What have you seen so far? Game one, with Verlander pitching, and they're up 5 nothing. you probably think this game's over, and couldn't hold a 5 nothing lead. They have scored runs in bunches and have had big innings in all of the series, and just hit the tar out of the ball, especially when at home in, at Citizens Bank Park. But when they tied game one at 5-5, Rob Thompson seized the moment and from that second managed game one like it was game seven. He used his A bullpen and matchups in the fifth inning. He managed that game like it was do or die. The season was over if they didn't win that game. You have Castellanos make that great catch. The game one would have been over. If he doesn't make that sliding catch on a bloop to shallow right with the winning run on base, get the run in the 10th inning and win the game, that was huge. On the other side of it, McCullers did not have good stuff. You could tell right away in the first inning, he throws a high percentage of breaking pitches especially to left-handed hitters, doesn't throw any fastballs. Fastballs all go to the right-handed hitters. They saw him late in the year when the Phillies had a finished season with that almost two weeks on the road. That's how they got into the postseason. They saw McCullers there, and McCullers pitched part of the year because he'd been injured for a 
over a year coming back from arm surgery. Who knows if he is 100%. He didn't have good stuff. He gives up those runs in the first inning. Then it's two more home runs and it's 4 nothing after three. And I'm thinking, well, he's not coming back for the fourth inning. And Dusty left him in. He gives up two more home runs. Nobody's ever given up five home runs, one pitcher, in a World Series game. Now it's 7 nothing. If it's 4 nothing and you get him out and you scratch a run here and run there, it's 4-2. Rob Thompson has to bring in his A bullpen to win that game. Once it's 7 nothing after five innings, he's using mop-up guys. Hmm. He doesn't have to touch that A bullpen. I remember the last time you were on the show, you were not a, a big component of the DH coming to the National League. But definitely the Phillies, one of those teams that are striving off of that. So do you think they'd be there without that rule in place? And also, what do you think of the overall impact throughout baseball. I thought I would hate it more. Played with it in 2020 in the shortened season and it was so inevitable. I really didn't miss pitchers batting because most of them are terrible. In the end, it was probably better for the game to play with one rule. But one of the guys who was so vehemently opposed to the DH coming to the National League was Bryce Harper. He was very vocal about it and we had conversations about when he's a free agent, I want to stay in the National League. I love National League baseball. I love the strategy. When you're playing, you're always kind of managing along with the manager. Is he going to take the pitcher out? Is he going to pinch it? Is he going to make a double switch here? And when he couldn't throw because he has a partially torn UCL in his elbow and may need Tommy John surgery when this is all over, he wouldn't have played this year because he couldn't play the field. And he comes back from the broken thumb for two months. And I said, how's your elbow? He goes, it's not good. I think I'm going to have to DH. He goes, now, isn't that ironic? I was so <laughs> vehemently opposed to the DH. He goes, I wouldn't be playing this year. If we have the old rules, he's a pinch hitter in the National League parks and he's the DH in the games only in the American League parks. What would you have done with him in the playoffs? We are talking to Nationals radio play-by-play bro broadcaster Charlie Slows. It's so interesting when you watch the Astros pitch against the Yankees. They completely dominated. 62 strikeouts. Completely took out their big bats. And the Yankees, they're all or nothing when it comes to hitting. Except DJ LeMayu and Benatendi who were not in that lineup. And Bader, a lot of people took shots at Cashman because Montgomery was having such a great season with the Cardinals. But he never pitched in the playoffs. And Bader comes in. He hits five home runs and completely dominates. Helps the Yankees get all the way to the ALCS and then walk into a wall of the Astros. When you look at this pitch staff, even without Justin Verlander in the offseason. How good could this pitching staff be next year? They're very good. What helped them was the COVID year in 2020 because Framber Valdez, a lot of these other young pitchers, because they had COVID outbreaks, these were guys who came up and got a chance to pitch, and they pitched in the postseason that year. They had a chance to get established there, and it's really helped them. They have a very good bullpen. When you look top to bottom, they have the best pitching of any team that's been in the postseason at this point. You could look at 106 wins for the Astros, best team in the American League. You can look at 111 wins for the Dodgers. The Yankees starting out 52-18. and 18. If you count the postseason, they were under 500 from mm-hmm. that moment on to the end of the year. In baseball, you always say after 162 games, your record says you are what you are. You are the best team if you have that best record. But when you go into the postseason, how are you playing at the time that the season ends? How is your health as the season's coming to an end? The Yankees weren't 100% healthy. They didn't have the relievers that they were supposed to have. Even guys they traded for weren't healthy to be in that bullpen the postseason. And how good their best relievers were in the beginning of the year, they were all hurt at the end of the year. Chapman, not the pitcher he was anymore, and not even on the roster for the postseason. So they really weren't the same team in the second half of the year that they were in the first half. And you'd say that about the Dodgers, to win a a franchise record 111 games, the most since Seattle won 116 games in 2001. But look at the injuries they had to their pitching staff. Guys, they didn't have or weren't able to start. You didn't have a true closer anymore. That didn't work out for them. They had a lot of injuries, both starting pitching-wise, losing Walker Buehler for the year, 
was huge. They were trying to piece it together. But even with guys that were healthy, they're five and dive, never letting their pitchers pitch past two times through the order and go to the bullpen when you didn't have a deep bullpen to be able to do that, backfired on them. And San Diego ended up with better pitching and won that series. San Diego was right there with the Phillies. And you got Bob Melvin, great manager with all he did in all those years with Oakland, with seemingly not a lot to work with every year. How many years was he in the postseason? But then to get into the bottom of the eighth inning in a do-or-die game, and you got Harper up, and I know you got a right-hander who's given up one home run to a left-handed hitter all year, but you got Josh Hader, who was back to form in that bullpen, and you left him in the bullpen, and Harper hits a two-run homer off the left-hander, and everything changes, and it's over right there. Look at the Mets. Look how long they were in first place. All they had to do was win one game in that three-game series with Atlanta. DeGrom, the week before against Oakland, he gets beat up by the A's. I heard that they didn't like the way the mound was in Oakland, and that was kind of an excuse. He had a blister, didn't pitch well, came out of that game early, didn't pitch well in the series in Atlanta. Scherzer got bombed in the series, and I don't think Scherzer was ever the same after he went out the second time with the oblique. If he's not pitching, he's not 100%, and then he's trying to come back from that. But into the wild card series, to say you're going to start Scherzer, and if you win, you're going to start Bassett in the game two and only pitch to Grom if it's a do-or-die game, game three. You got to win that series in two games. The last thing you want is to have a game three. So they lose game one, which blew his strategy, and DeGrom had a pitch in game two, and they win. So they didn't have DeGrom for the do-or-die game. He had a pitch Bassett who wasn't very good either, and they didn't win. Buck lost me when he didn't say, we're not worried about our rotation for the division series. We got to win the wild card series, and we don't want to play three games. We want to win it in two games. I just didn't get that strategy. When he lost me, you wait till the sixth inning, down six nothing. Let's go see if Musgrove is doing something with the baseball. <laughs> it was a little late for that. Joe Musgrove comes to the Astros. He must be cheating. All the conspiracy <laughs> theories. But my biggest issue, if they knew Max Scherzer was dealing with those types of injuries, why is he pitching in game one? Jacob DeGrom should have been pitching game one. That's- Unless you tell me he needs more time because of the blister, he's got to pitch. Jake's one. the best pitcher on that team. The best pitcher in baseball when healthy. There'll be nights and games where Max is as good or better than DeGrom. Of course. But you got to make a decision. Big decision now. What are you going to do with him? I'm paying him. You can't find a pitcher that good. But how much are you going to commit to him for how long? I would do what you did with Scherzer. I would commit four years with a fifth-year option. $43 million. He's worth that. But I don't trust him to stay healthy. No. Same thing with Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge has been healthy for two seasons. Before that, the guy couldn't stay healthy. Now, all of a sudden, he almost wins the triple crown. He has the home run record in the American League. And everybody said, oh, this guy's going to make $350 million. And teams like San Francisco is going to give him eight years. I think that's ridiculous because of the injury background. He's playing 162 games. DeGrom's only pitching 30 games if he's healthy. His health is a major if. And they tried this late in the year with him, trying to get him to back down and not throw every fastball at 100 to 103 miles an hour and see if you can be successful throwing in the mid to upper 90s. Because he keeps throwing like that, he's going to break down. It's just not humanly possible to keep throwing where your slider's 94 and your fastball's 102. It's unbelievable how good of it is. It is unbelievable, yeah. but when does he ever go past six innings? The Mets, in terms of their structure, like they're a talented team. In order for them to take that next step in a modern era of baseball, they have to get more in terms of the other modern concepts that I don't think they've really adjusted to. They've mismanaged pitchers all the time, and that's why I don't think they're considered like that well-oiled machine. Like the Braves are a well-oiled machine. Houston, the Dodgers, the Rays, the low-market version of the well-oiled 
Even the Nationals, Nationals at one point, Strasburg and Max Scherzer yeah. and Bryce Harper and Trey and Rendon. Don't remind me, I watched them play for every team in the postseason. <laughs> they built a well-oiled machine. Now you look at the Mets, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, they brought in Escobar that finally started playing well in the second half. And then Bassett, do they bring him back or do they go after Rodon? A good left-handed pitcher, that which they need left-handed pitching. I think it all starts with DeGrom. You can't make any other decisions. If you don't sign DeGrom, maybe you go get both Rodon and re-sign Bassett. Carrasco, the back of the rotations had their injury issues also. Carrasco's going to be there because he has an option in his contract. Hasn't Rodon been not healthy? Rodon, the last two years, has been one of the best pitchers in yeah, the Yeah, last two years. Early in his career, yes, he had a lot of injury issues. He's been healthy the last two years. Really? I think he only missed no, like a I, start or I, two. For a lot of teams the last two years, everybody's been trying to hold their pitchers back because they couldn't get the innings. And then with the lockout, you had the short spring training. So everybody was trying to be extra careful with everybody. I think next year you, you've got the World Baseball Classic will factor in some, but that mm. means earlier start to the spring for a lot of guys who are going to be playing in the World Baseball Classic. But you're going to get the full spring training next year and the benefit of guys who've pitched enough innings this year that the bump will be not as severe next year. Maybe we'll start to see if they let them pitch deeper into games, pitchers get to 30 starts and over 200. Nobody's getting to 200 innings. Back when I was young, guys like Seaver and Gibson were throwing 300 innings or more. Nolan Ryan on a regular basis. Now the game is too dependent on relief pitchers. When you look at this World Series, Syndergaard, that's considered a bullpen game because he's not stretched out. Who would ever think in our lifetime that somebody would say we're going to have a bullpen game in the World Series? Syndergaard all the crap he said after he left the Mets. I can't respect him. I don't really understand what that was all about, what he was upset about. about. Bryce Harper signs with the Phillies Mm -hmm. and Nationals fans just booed the heck out of him and were not very nice to him. They treated him the way Phillies fans would treat somebody who left Philadelphia and signed with another team. And I thought our fans were better than that. I really don't get it because the offer wasn't what Bryce thought it would be. And he talked to a number of teams that offseason, San Diego, the Dodgers, San Francisco, the Phillies were the only ones who made him the offer that he wanted. He was talking to the Yankees too. Yeah. To the beginning of spring training. Good for him. He played for the Nationals 2012 through 2018. He played on some teams that had gut-wrenching first-round losses in 12, 14, 16, and 17. He certainly paid his dues. Maybe this is his time, his moment. He's certainly playing like it is. Kyle Schwarber, remember when he came back? Cubs. Torn yeah. up knee and wasn't supposed to play anymore and came back and played and was a factor in the World Series in mm-hmm. 16. This guy's a great teammate, great guy, and doesn't command the spotlight. You can see how humble he is when he hits a home run. He doesn't put on a big show running around the bases. He hits some of the most impressive home runs you will ever see with one of the most shortest compact swings. And he does not launch. He does not look to swing under the ball and lift it. He hits down on the ball and gets the bat out in front to make contact. And when you're doing that, you're going to elevate the ball when you get the bat out front. I watched him last year, the Nationals in June, when he hit 16 home runs in like two and a half weeks. Yeah, a lot of those against the Mets. I've never seen anything like that. At that point, we got to July 2nd. The Nationals were two games behind the Mets. Had turned their season around. There were two games over 500. Trey Turner gets hurt. Kyle Schwarber gets a grade three hamstring strain. He's going to be out two months. The next day, we have a catcher playing second base. Don't have a good month of July. And then they trade everybody. And then I told you guys in spring training, I think our team's going to lose 110 games. You did. We lost 107. 
I was short by three. Yeah, you should have made a they, bet on they, that. They should have lost 110 <laughs> games. Only the Mets could beat the Nationals in September when they should have. Those two out of three in September didn't help. Not either getting swept by the Cubs. We are talking to Nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster Charlie Slow is a friend of the show. Good guy. His son, part of the network. Good hard worker. And the season is over for the Nationals. And two ex-Nationals have a chance right now to win a it's World over, Series. It's over, but you never <laughs> <Yeah>. forget. <laughs> never forget. Look at that ring. I need a piece of that ring. <laughs> Don't ever sell that. Got my name on the side. Nice. <laughs> Beautiful. That it's a awesome. big ring. I, I could never go out in public with a ring like that. This hand I keep score with, it's really hard to do. I mean, <laughs> it weighs you down. Your hand kind of tilts. Stop this. it. <laughs> Don't be Hakeem Nix and sell your ring. What did he make no, on that? Why would you sell your ring? He must have been that desperate for money. Casinos can make that happen. Yeah. It's not I like guess Julio right. Jones losing his jewelry in the water. Or Antoine Walker. He made like $80 million as an NBA player. All went away because he was a gambler. And uh, he tried to come back in the G League. There's so many people. I remember when I was young in the 1970s. I mean, we used to hear the stories. Mickey Rivers used to have to go and try and get George to give him an advance on his salary because Mick the Quick wasn't doing well at the ninth and 10th race at Yonkers Raceway after mm-hmm. Yankees games. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to Nationals play-by-play broadcaster Charlie Slows. I went to the Islanders and Ranger game. Right by the UBS arena is the raceway. So I went with Mike from Bayshore. We call him the Beef. We were walking around all the way because we had to park in the parking lot right on the other side of the UBS arena so the raceway and I'm looking over and I see the field and I'm like my hip is hurting me walking to the UBS arena how the hell does these horses get around here this is like two and a half miles I'm already tired I told the beavis like why don't we climb over and try to run on the raceway let's see how fast <laughs> we can go I said we look like a bunch of jackasses and then we'll get arrested remember in high school the track around the football field was a quarter mile four <laughs> times around was a mile how big is no that way. oval no mm-hmm. way when I was in high school, I ran a mile, I think, eight minutes. Now there are people, there are kids running a mile in six minutes. It's ridiculous what kids are running a mile now. I could never do that. And that shows you the different technique, how they build their bodies now with all the different ways that you can build your strength and your conditioning now than we couldn't do 20 years ago. Well, it's crazy. Back then, you trained for your sport by playing your sport. You didn't mm-hmm. use all other methods of training. Think about cycling. Cyclists, they run, they swim, they do all these other things. Yeah, triathlon. They stick themselves with needles. <laughs> oh, that's Armstrong. You can't just, say that's not I'm, true, right? I'm just trying to mess around. But I've argued this with professional sports. If they want to use steroids to stay healthy so they can play, let them do that. They want to ruin their bodies. They want to hurt their bodies. That's their decision. The only two sports that you should not be using steroids is combat sports. Boxing, mixed martial arts, you can kill somebody doing that. These football players are 350 pounds. They're running 40 yards in 4.8 seconds. It's ridiculous, ridiculous how fast they run. Does it really matter if they took steroids and not? Ask Hopkins, who got suspended six games. I can't agree when you're talking about strength and staying healthy in football. All the other damage that it can do to your body, brain, with all the head injuries and everything combined. It's doing already. I can't say that steroids wouldn't contribute more to it. But in baseball, Barry Bonds, look what he looked like early in his career. Yeah. And look what he looked like later. Sammy Sosa, the same thing, was not a big guy. McGuire was a big guy. But he got really, really big. Yeah, his forearm was dead. So you can't say that didn't have the same effect. No, it because didn't. Those guys had an edge in stamina. I mean, Bonds was ridiculous. Ephenemies have been around for 40 right. years. Well, and these guys, they were was... in the Hall of Fame. Ephenemies can actually make you see the ball better. It's like cocaine. You've heard all different ex football players, guy that played for the Giants, a linebacker, arguably one of the greatest linebackers ever played the game, who used to sniff an eight ball every single half and go out there and try to kill people. And he's in the Hall of Fame. Bud Selig 
Jackson in the Hall of Fame. George Steinbrenner, who really helped baseball, saved baseball for what he did in the 90s. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And you have this idiot, Bud Selig, who allowed steroids the way he did, pushed it to the side because he needed to save it because of the strike in 94-95 that absolutely ruined baseball and tried to figure a way how to save baseball. Stick yourself in the ass. Help me break on the home run records and we'll take baseball to the next level. If Canseco didn't come out and say what he said, maybe nothing changes. If you don't have a former Houston Astro pitching for the Oakland A's, come out and say what he said. Maybe the Astros cheating doesn't get exposed either. They weren't the only ones doing it. Carlos Beltran was the ringleader of the whole thing in Houston. But Carlos Beltran was with the Yankees before that. And the Yankees and Red Sox were getting slapped on the wrist by the commissioner to knock off what they were doing long before the Astros got nailed. They were saying Brian McCann had a lot to do with it, too. They all knew what was going on. One of the old Lou Pinella stories from when he was with the Yankees. He's sitting in a meeting, Gene Michaels, the GM, and the Yankees front office, and they're talking about guys cheating and Steinbrenners in the meetings. Why don't we do anything about it? If this guy's putting something on the ball and cheat, why aren't we calling him out on this? Lou Pinella says, we can't, George. He goes, why not? He goes, three of our guys are doing it. <laughs> I miss George Steinbrenner because he really changed the game of baseball, and it made you hate somebody as much as everybody hated him. Because the only thing he cared about was winning. Of course. And winning, you become evil. Look at the Golden State Warriors. And I can't stand Steph Curry. They are a winning organization. You either love them or you, you absolutely hate them. You can't stand him, but you'd love to sit on the gym and watch him shoot. No, I he's in the NBA for 11 years yeah. before I switched to baseball mm. full time. He's the best shooter I've ever seen. I'm sure. Unbelievable. But the best pressured shooter I've ever seen? Reggie Miller. As good a shooter as Steph Curry has been in the playoffs, he is not as dominant. He's had a team around him where he could still win. And, and when he didn't have a team around him, he didn't win. And that's the same with anybody. That's not true. LeBron James did. He won with a very crappy team. I mean, he but took a crappy team to the finals. That no. doesn't happen very often. No, I mean, because he's a special player. Even Jordan, is he winning without Pippen? Is he winning without some of the other role players no. that they designed? We are talking to Nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster Charlie Slows. It's so interesting because we talk about Michael Jordan. I had the opportunity to watch ESPN's documentary on Derek Jeter. I haven't watched that one yet. You'll like it. It's real really, really good. It's very well put together from the beginning to the end of Derek Cheetah's career, even as he becomes an owner from Miami and actually steps down because of what Miami was doing. It was because of the organization and him being the CEO of the organization. They were trying to do different things and he didn't agree with what he signed up for. And he decided to step down because of it. And it really pissed off the Jeter family and him because he moved to Miami and he said it hurts him because he believes that he was on course to getting this team into a championship competitive team that he thought he was building. But it's very well put together and the stories and different people, they had Don Mattingly. Each different episode from each time every three years. I didn't know that Gerald Williams passed away. Oh, yeah, that was over the summer. I was sad because I liked Gerald Williams as a New York Yankee. He wasn't one of those superstar players, but he was always used as a utility player for the Yankees. He and Jeter became best friends. Yeah, Best friends. Mm-hmm. Joe Torre thought that he wasn't going to be the best influence on Jeter, and that's why they traded him away. Got him back later on. They traded him away because they didn't want Jeter around him. Interesting. I didn't I'm sure hear that. that wasn't in the document. No, it wasn't. But a lot of writers that were writing about him, and he would hear what they say on the documentary, and he would tack them on the documentary. Like, what the hell did he know? It was great. And I'm not a Derek Jeter fan as a Yankee fan, but I respect really? him. No, I, I really wasn't a big Derek Jeter fan. Growing oh, up. A clutch player, though. One of the greatest clutch players to 
ever play the game. Even his final game at home, the Baltimore Orioles, yeah. Buck Showalter, they came back. They hit two home runs in the ninth inning. It goes to extra innings. And who's batting third after a hit? The guy steals second base. He hits the ball, and they win the game. And then when he wanted to hit his 3,000 hit in Yankee Stadium, he hits five. He was oh. five for five, and he hits a home run. It's storybook. And he always wanted to be a Yankee, and he even said it. Even when he was fighting with Brian Cashman on his contract, he always knew that he was going to stay with the Yankees. He had no thoughts. And even at the end, when he was getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, he said he pulled Brian Cashman to the side. And whatever problems that we had at the end of my career, or all the discussions that we've had that we disagreed, I wash it. I respect you for what you have done, and you helped me move forward in my career, and that's why I am who I am today. It's really interesting. It's a documentary you have to check out. Even if you're not a Yankee fan, Derek Jeter is always going to be remembered as one of the faces of baseball in the last 50 years. He was very important. Seeing him on the pregame show and seeing him with A-Rod and A-Rod acting like they're the long lost best buddy. I I think A-Rod is the biggest phony that there is. I actually met A-Rod, and I thought A-Rod was one of the nicest guys I ever met. Could you imagine if he and J-Lo owned the Mets speedy? Oh, forget oh, it. I, I remember being so against that at the time. I'm like, oh, what thank God it's Steve Cohen. End of that documentary, Derek Jeter's wife, which by the way almost passed away on a second kid. She can't have kids anymore. She almost bled to death. But she actually told Derek, when you're a young guy, you say things, you handle things differently in front of the press. People are different. And that you can't judge a book by its cover now that you guys are men. You guys are done with your careers. Sometimes you have to walk away from what has happened. Derek Jeter took it really personal, what he said. Derek Jeter was very to himself. He even said, I kept my close friends close and everybody away from me because I didn't trust anybody. Everybody tried to throw me under the bus or try to make me look like I was the bad guy. All I tried to do was play the game of baseball. And I loved the game so much, that's why I never settled down with anybody. The game was more important to me than anything else. It's very interesting how he explains who he was as a baseball player, as a kid, coming into the league, then becoming the leader, and then becomes the captain, and becomes a man. It's very unique, and it's a great, great story documentary. It's seven episodes, an hour an episode, it's seven hours. It's fantastic. You have to check it out. Speedy, did ESPN Plus pay him for the... (laughs) (laughs) I was really into it. I think you should take this whole segment (laughs) of you talking about it and send it to them. They'll love me. Let's hire this guy! (laughs) That's a good selling point. There you go, Brian. Take this and sell this to him. Baseball is everybody's pastime. I want to see baseball come back on top from football. I don't know if it ever will the Not with the, the way they're branding it, no. No. I have friends who said, well, if the Yankees and Dodgers are in this World Series, nobody's going to watch. That's then what a give it, If San Diego's <laughs> not in it with their lineup, nobody's going to watch. Philadelphia and Houston, this series not going to get any ratings. I'm like, you're wrong because Houston are still the team everybody wants to hate, even mm-hmm. with Dusty. Yeah. And Philadelphia is a top 10 market. They <laughs> hate their fans. I've been in their park when the Nationals were winning and the Phillies had really hit bottom a few years back. And some of the same players are still there now Mm. that got mercifully booed Mm. for bad performances. And so now they're getting the flip side of it. So good for them because those players pay their dues to have to play in front of those fans. This year, they really weren't drawing all that well because I don't think their fans believed. And their season ticket base had fallen off. They hadn't won. They hadn't come close in the last few years. So their story is similar in a lot of ways to the Nationals 2019. Nationals won more games in the regular season and kind of locked up the first wild card spot by early September. They were way ahead. Whereas the Phillies had to really play that final 
final week to get in, but they've played their behinds off. They've outplayed everybody they've played. Now you got the Eagles are unbeaten. They're the town right now. Right now, they're the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Bruins, even Philadelphia Flyers are winning. You got Tortorella coaching, so you know they're, they're going to be good at some point. Well, and Tortorella's coaching, it'll never be dull. No. I love him. He's I do fun too. to be around. I do He's too. Next to Parcells, Belichick press conferences, Tortorella's up. Tortorella looks like my father. So every time I see him walk into the stadium when they have the cameras on him, I'm like, he looks so much like my dad. And it's crazy because my father was as crazy as he was. Remember when he coached for Vancouver and he wanted to beat up one of his players or the other team's yeah. players? He's got a ring, though. He coached that Tampa Bay Lightning team. Yeah. Cup team in 2004. He could have won a Stanley Cup with the Rangers. Everything fell apart, but this is a man that knows the game of hockey and he's one of the best defensive minds in the NHL. I was talking about it earlier with Noah Syndergaard, how he left a sour taste to me when he left the Mets. I can't wait for the first Tony D'Angelo hissy fit that he throws with Tortorella. <laughs> Tony D'Angelo is one of the craziest people you'll ever meet. Personality-wise, he's not normal. He's yeah, not normal on the right. ice. He's not normal in person. He's one of those crazy people, and he likes to drink. He loves his beer. Charlie, we really appreciate you joining us. You do such a fantastic job with the Nationals. Enjoy your summer vacation. Spend it with your family. Tell Alex. That's right. I, love I do my summer in the winter. You look pretty, I'm man. Warm weather. I'm in Florida, so that's a good thing. You look good, man. You look pretty. Your wife should be very happy. You look like you're not getting any wrinkles. There's a few here and there. Oh, come on. Everybody adds wrinkles. The big right wrinkle there. may be in the midsection. So. <laughs> Don't got, tell Alex I that. Got, <laughs> I got time to work on that right now. There you go. But we really appreciate you, man, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll see if my team, based on being up for sale, whether <laughs> they make some moves to improve. And then we found out the commanders are going up for sale. The <laughs> Orioles are next to go up for sale. The whole region's going to have teams up for sale. Oh. We'll see what happens. If I had a billion dollars, I'd buy one of those teams, too. You could call it the Beltway bidding <laughs> hey, war. maybe I'll play for power ball. <laughs> Maybe I'll get lucky. I doubt it. Anyone I know that wins that thing saying, I'll see ya. <laughs> Charlie Slows, fantastic. His son, Alex Slows, working his butt off. He's moving into serious contentions, hopefully. Moving into better opportunities for him. More open to having the opportunity to do some baseball and basketball and learning the games. Not just wrestling. It will open up opportunities for him, being that he's a young kid. And when he does, he's going to be very successful. Look at his father. 30 years in the game of baseball and basketball and soccer. Fantastic. Don't worry, Charlie. Your son served the role of Tampa Bay Lightning bandwagon <laughs> fan just to annoy Lyle when they were playing the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> I was pissed. Well, almost won three in a row. That almost made me throw up. well in the salary cap era to even win two in a row. They cheated with that salary cap. They had three players hurt for the whole season. They didn't cheat. They yeah, found well, a loophole. Bill Belichick has. Yeah, they found a loophole that now has to be fixed. Somebody else will do it. The NHL salary cap is different than any other sport because you have to meet the cap every Every day you have to be under the cap for every game so if you have an injury not a long-term injury but a short-term injury and you call up a player based on what he makes you have to make a manipulation to send somebody down just to be under the cap that day mm-hmm. it's different than every other sport you're really managing the cap every day if you're a team that's right up against right. it like the lightning work like the islanders are <laughs> That's why Tampa Bay has a lot of new players now that they're trying to work through. You know, traded away some people. They had to make room under the cap. Signed some players long-term so that they have 
salary cap expectancy for several years. Charlie, thank you, man. You got it. Talk to you soon. The great Charlie Slows. He was fantastic. When you talk about the game of baseball and knowing the game as much as he does, and he knows everything, analytics and the way the game is transitioning to, and he's one of the faces of the game of baseball and the voices of baseball. He's fantastic. Yeah, one of the longest tenured baseball broadcasters. Got it for over 30 years. Did a little basketball. He knows his hockey, too. Actually, on Thursday, did substitute PA announcing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. A man of many talents. Good for him. I know he's a Ranger fan. Uh, there you go. I like uh, him more uh, now. He's a New Yorker. He's from here. He's from Long Island. Shout out to our friend Charlie Slows. Keep up the good work as always. When we come back, we'll get into the World Series as the Houston Astros are up 3-2 to two against high Philadelphia Phillies. Bryce Harper Phillies as they are in a lot of trouble as Zach Wheeler. Not 100% healthy, but he will be on the mound tonight. A game that they must win. Game 6 and the Mets not expected to get involved in the bidding war for Aaron Judge. When we come back, we'll get into all that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have fun on this show, ladies and gentlemen, and we love to go through the weekend sports and give you our takes of what is going on in sports, not just New York sports, but around the country. And one sport that's going on where there are no New York teams in it. It's the World Series. Just three X-Met pitchers. That's it. There you go. Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler. Rafael Montero. That's right. Three top prospects for the New York Mets. One from one team could win the World Series, and the other two can win the World Series on the other side. So three players could win a World Series. It's crazy, but that's baseball. Nothing is guaranteed in baseball, that's for sure. But why don't we get into it? I've watched this series, and there's a lot to talk about. Game number one, when Verlander had a 5 nothing lead, and somehow the Philadelphia Phillies came back. I don't know what happened to the pitching, but it didn't exist. McCullers gave up the most home runs as a starting pitcher in a World Series, and then and you saw the Philadelphia Phillies take a 2-1 lead. And then the last two games after that, they were the Strohs. The Strohs took control of this series. And they're getting timely pitching from Furlander and their young pitching. And this bullpen is pretty stout. The no-hitter the other day, they've been unbelievable. And now they're going back into enemy territory in Houston where the fans are loud and crazy and cheating. I'm just kidding. Fans are cheating now too? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're <laughs> shooting hot dogs out of their buns and telling them what strike and what ball's coming out of the pitcher's hand. But Philadelphia's in a lot of trouble, and they have to depend on their ace to go out there, even hurt, and try to win that baseball game. If they do that, they take it to a Game 7, and anything could happen. Before I get to Game 6, Noah Syndergaard, I'm glad you got to witness a combined no-hitter in person against your own team after the comments you made about my New York Mets earlier in the season, saying that was fraudulent. Now you got to witness one in person in Game 4 of the World Series. But yeah, that was a masterclass by that bullpen. Christian Javier as a starter was fantastic. He's their best pitcher, by the way. They've gotten a lot more depth out of that 
that bullpen, even in comparison to their other World Series teams in the past, too. A lot of the, the bullpens were rocky. They had to use starters out of the bullpen a lot of the time, too, or versatile guys. That's how McCullers really emerged. But now with Game 6, it's going to be a big battle for Zach Wheeler. Now he's dealing with some arm fatigue. We saw Max Scherzer have an issue with that last year when he was with the Dodgers and plenty of other pitchers recently, especially older pitchers that have had this kind of issue. So that's going to be a big test for Zach Wheeler. He might have to change his pitching style in order to make sure he can go longer in the games. And Rob Thompson's got to be ready for a backup plan in that case. It's actually, I guess, good that they announced He has a fresh bullpen. He does. With the off day that it'll end up helping. And this bullpen's actually been very impressive in this series so far. It really hasn't been a major deficiency at any point. David Robertson's had a couple rocky innings, but beyond that, you look at a a Phillies bullpen that never was the strength of their team. is looking very deep. And their defense, their position player defense, has actually been really good this series as well. It's just the Astros have also made some insane plays, too. We saw Chas McCormick, Trey Mancini, make some great plays in Game 5, and two pitching master classes going at it. Right now, the better hitting team is Philadelphia, but not by much. And both teams have timely pitching. They've both pitched very, very well in this series. And who knows? Anything's possible. Anything could happen. And a lot of people think Philadelphia is done. My uncle thinks Philadelphia is done. I don't believe so. If somehow Wheeler can come out the winner of this game, it's going to a Game 7. If it goes to a Game 7, any possible thing could happen. You're going to see a battle of depth from both ways. I think we're going to see young pitchers with the Astros because they're not really big length guys. Both Valdez. I don't know if Javier will be available. I would love to see a Game 7. The Phillies are going to do that too because they're going to have to pitch Wheeler to save their season and they're going to have to go with something else when it comes to either starting Suarez Suarez or Gibson. There's a lot of options they could go to and then they're going to play a bullpen game too. So expect that if there is a Game 7. It's going to be really, really fun. And then there's this whole Aaron Judge thing. And we're waiting for Aaron Judge to be announced as the MVP of the league. We know he is. And we all know Paul Goldschmidt in the National League is going to be the MVP. But this story is going to blow up. After this series is over, the big story is is where Aaron Judge is going to go. Is he staying with the Yankees? Is he going to San Francisco? Is he going to the Red Sox? Or is he going to the Dodgers or the Mets? I really believe he's going to San Francisco. You've heard what Brian Cashman has said. He's going to be very aggressive for Aaron Judge. The Yankees have said over the last couple of years is that Aaron Judge can't stay healthy. The last two years, he has been healthy. But the years before that, the guy would miss 30 games. That doesn't hold up when you're paying a guy over $300 million and he wants a seven, eight-year contract. I think the Yankees could be making a very big mistake if they sign Aaron Judge to anything more than a five-year deal. Now, if you can get him for five years and $50 million a year, I do it. But anything more than five or six years, I think it's ridiculous. And I think the Mets are going to stay back on this. They don't need Aaron Judge in that lineup. I know he's a big name. I know he's a big bopper. I know he could protect Pete Alonso. Could you imagine him and Pete Alonso in the same lineup? But I do not see Uncle Stevie going after this. I think Uncle Stevie will go after another arm if they lose Bassett, and I think they'll go after timely hitters. Have a little bit of power, but not that much power that you could put in the middle of the lineup and give you some pop. First of all, with Aaron Judge, yeah, it's a very unique situation because we've never seen a player this big, six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds, do what he does in the outfield. Too, most of those big, strong guys are designated hitters, first basemen, and they're more durable because they're not doing all those things. Aaron Judge plays great defense in center field. He steals bases. He scores runs. He runs the bases very well. That's going to be a big thing to a team that's going to have to get that kind of investment because you're getting a player that is being forced to do things that are out of the norm of his body type. Really, we've seen that in the end. 
NFL all the time with a lot of tight ends that are really big. And a lot of them have injury issues throughout their career. Look at somebody like Gronk, Tyler Eifert, guys like that. Those big stocky guys that really have issues with that. So that's going to be a big gamble for any team to do that. I definitely don't want the Mets to do it just because I think the Mets approach has to be a little different this offseason. I think they realize that this old school identity thing is not going to necessarily work as a long-term thing. We saw both Scherzer and DeGrom kind of wear down towards the end of the year, whether they were pitching hurt in the playoffs or not. It was another story, but either way, they mismanage it. So get some guys that are younger. Get some guys that are tradable contracts, guys that are controllable through arbitration that they could have for a while. Get some depth in that bullpen, too. They have one lefty, and that's Joely Rodriguez, who was horrible this year. They need some lefties. Hitting depth definitely could help. I still like a lot of the lineup on paper, but they're going to need to find some kind of extra identity, too. It's not going to take one guy. You mentioned it last week. Aaron Judge, one guy isn't going to win a championship. No, and I think the Yankees need to decide on where they're going with that. If they don't give Aaron Judge a $350 million contract, that saves them a lot of money. Let Luis Severino walk. Let Tyone walk. Let all these guys walk. Save $90 to $100 million. If you want to spend a little bit of money this offseason, do so. And then the big offseason next year with Soto and Otani, then you make your bid for one of those big-time superstars if you lose Aaron Judge. And I mentioned when we were talking to Charlie, too, that the Mets have to try to find some level of balance between trying to be a super aggressive spending team, but also still trying to make it work to develop players on their own, find gems in their own right, too. I was talking about the Dodgers, the Braves, the Astros, teams like that, even the Rays to a low market value, too. The Mets aren't there yet. They have to find those kinds of gems. They did with Jeff McNeil a couple years ago. Pete Alonso was a a first-round pick, but he wasn't like a top prospect at the time. But they've had trouble with that when it comes to especially position players, too. So they need to find those kinds of guys when it comes to either small-scale trades or gem contracts. And that's up to Billy Epler to make that kind of thing happen. But I definitely don't think Aaron Judge is the right pursuit. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some NHL conversation as the Rangers not playing as well as everybody thought they were going to be early in this season. And the New York Islanders is hot as fire. Yes, they're on fire. When we come back, we will get into some NHL conversation and we will get into some crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN in your Apple Store or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, before we get into crunch time, I want to get into a little bit of hockey right now. And Speedy, your Rangers are not playing very well. They're not scoring. That's been a big problem early this season. And their defense, and I've been saying this, this has been their weakness over the last couple of years. Yes, they have Adam Fox who hasn't played at the top of his game yet this year. Offensively, he has. Defensively, he's fallen off. Miller, he's played better defensively, but offensively, he's really done nothing. That defensive core that they have right now has just not played very well in front of Shesterkin. So what are your thoughts to your New York Rangers, and where do you think they need to go moving forward? Yeah, much of the same. A lot of the defensive players that have been good this year are the youngsters. Zach Jones has been very impressive. I've been very impressed with Braden Schneider so far. Keandre Miller was very good the first four games. 
Adams kind of leveled out a little bit recently. But yeah, Adam Fox defensively is a little down this year. Offensively, still doing very well. 10 points already on the year. Seven assists, three goals, which even in his Norris Trophy season only had five goals. So that's an interesting start. But Ryan Lindgren, his line mate, definitely has not looked the same this year. He was one of the best breakthrough candidates for the Rangers last year. Had a very good season with both hits and block shots. Good positioning. And he's been down this year. He's been fighting some injury, but still, even when he's been on the ice, has not been the same too. Offensively, yeah, it's a little top-heavy right now. Panarin and Zibanejad have been great. 16 points and 14 points. I've also been very impressed with Vincent Trocek, but it's going to take a while for the rest of these depth pieces to find themselves. And there was the dilemma at the beginning of the year. Do you break up the kid line? How do you rearrange it? I had no problem with it in the beginning, but Gallant is definitely going to have to make some adjustments with that. They're still early, so plenty of time to do that and experiment with these guys. The Rangers have not played very well. It's still very, very early, and you can't really go crazy right now. But right now, everybody thought that Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers were the favorites of coming out of this division and winning one and two in this division. Well, it's not like that. Carolina's still in first, but now you have the Jersey Devils and the New York Islanders at two and three playing pretty good hockey. Philadelphia's right behind the Rangers as the Rangers are behind the Islanders and behind the eight ball. The Rangers play 12 games and both the Devils and the Islanders have a game in hand. It's still very early. There's 82 games in a season and there's a lot of hockey left, but the Rangers have not been as good as anybody thought they were going to be in the beginning of the season, especially the way that the way they played last year. As far as the Islanders are concerned, I don't know what's up with the Islanders. Ever since Sorokin had that shutout against the New York Rangers at the UBS Arena, this team is on some kind of streak, and he is the reason why. He's been fantastic. He's kept this team into the games against some of the best teams in the NHL. Maybe not right now, but over the last couple of years. Volamov beat Colorado. Sorokin beat Carolina a couple of days ago. They beat a very hot Chicago Blackhawks team and a very poor, right now, St. Louis Blues team. They're playing great hockey. Really fun to watch. If you're an Islander fan, you should be very excited. They're scoring goals by the clip. Everybody thought that Lou Lamorello didn't make any moves in the offseason for scoring or any of that. They missed out on two really big players offensively. It didn't really hurt them because right now they lead in the Metropolitan Division in goals scored. And they're tied in their division the least amount of goals that they've given up. So they've playing great hockey offensively, defensively. Their plus minus is plus 14. It's it's crazy. Lambert's a new coach. This is a guy that has no experience as a head coach in this league. Barry Trotz is assistant coach. And this is his first opportunity as head coach. And he's doing a phenomenal job right now. The Islanders are playing just great hockey from top to bottom. Their lines are scoring. Every Everything is working right now. We'll see if they can keep it up and they start pulling away in that division. But there's a lot of people that had doubt that this team was going to be a good team this year. I told people, this is the team that was favorite to win the Stanley Cup last year. The same team. This team's even better with Romanoff. What did they lose? Chara in the offseason? They (laughs) added a young defenseman in Romanoff who hits and does everything you ask him to do. They're getting timely scoring from Wallstrom and Anders Lee and Brock Nelson. And the only person that hasn't scored on this team so far is their superstar, Matthew Barzell, who has 11 assists. Unbelievable when it comes to passing. He's just not thinking shoot first. He's thinking pass first. But hopefully he gets on top of the board and starts putting the puck in the net. But this team is playing fantastic, and it has a lot to do with goaltending. And I've told everybody this over and over again. I think Barry Trotz lost his job in the offseason because he didn't play Sorokin enough. This guy is the future of this organization. This is the guy that you can ride on his shoulders when it comes to the playoffs. They're going to have to lean on this kid when it comes down to the playoffs. He's been fantastic. Really has been, Speedy. And we were saying that he was going to be a 
a award finalist oh, last 100%. year if he got the volume of games. 100%. He just didn't get enough games. He will this year. He will this year. So far, he's played eight games. Varlamov has played three. So that's the split Figure you Figure this one out. When was the last time you could remember that two New York teams have top-end goaltenders? Well, yeah, because the Islanders had a drought of it for a while. So. Forever. I, I mean, mean, if you want to count the Devils, I guess, in that Brodor and Lundqvist. But beyond that, no. Because that would have been Billy Smith and Van Beesbrook then at that point. The other thing that I think that is a big key is Lane Lambert is getting the best out of the streaky fringe goal scorers of the veteran guys. Brock Nelson, five goals, eight assists already, already. Beauvillier had a horrible year last year. Three goals, four assists already. Bailey, three goals already on the Paul season. Paul Murray scoring now, finally. He had the two goals against the Rangers and now got hot. He scored against St. Louis the other night. He's starting to score. They're getting timely scoring. And Oliver Wallstrom, we all knew how good Oliver Wallstrom was. And now they put him with Barzell. And now playing with a masterful passer like he is, it's making Oliver a little bit better. And he's transitioning into that goal score that the Islanders thought they had when they drafted him. Right. And the other guy, too, leading the team in goals right now is Anders Lee. He has six goals, six assists. He had a down year last year because he was just coming off the injury. Definitely impacted his game. But now looks like he's back to that form that he had when he had the 30-goal season, 12 points. And all the plus minuses have been very strong for the Islanders. There's only two guys total in negatives right now. They have the best defense in the NHL. They have the best three-pairing defensemen in the NHL. From top to bottom, Romanoff and Dobson, who I believe he's going to be up for Defensive Player of the Year. He is having a fantastic season. Defensively, I told everybody this guy was going to turn into a star. Pelic and Pulak, their plus minus is over five. I mean, Mayfield, Ajo's been good. They're just fun to watch. And the Islanders, they're only going to get better. And when you have a goaltender this good, and the way he is playing right now, and the belief that they have in him and Lambert believes in him, they could ride him all the way to the playoffs. And I'm telling you right now, you do not want to play a team that has the defense, and if they could stay healthy too. Health is very important. If the Islanders can keep this defense healthy, you do not want to play this team in the playoffs because of their defense and because of their goaltending. If they can score one or two goals in any game in the playoffs, you can win series. This is not the same Islander team over the last couple of years. And Valamov, who has been good for the Islanders, he is nowhere close to the talent this kid is going to be for this organization moving forward. And that's why Lou Lamorella made sure that they brought Sorokin back to the NHL when they drafted him. We all know that Snow tried to bring him to the NHL and he didn't want to come because he knew that the Islanders weren't good enough. When Lamorello came here, Lamorello talked this kid into coming up from Russia, from the KHL, where he was the most dominant goaltender in the KHL for all those years, and now he's starting to show everybody why he is one of the best young goaltenders in the NHL. It's fantastic. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Alright, we'll start Crunch Time with the return of college football. The top four college football playoffs first week came out. The rankings, it is Tennessee number one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, and Clemson number four. Buy or sell, at least two of those teams will miss the college football playoff. I'm going to buy it. I don't know where Clemson is. I don't know how good Clemson is. And is Tennessee as good as everybody thinks they are? Yes, they beat Alabama. Yes, they're undefeated and they're playing as well as they are. But are they going to stay undefeated? I think one of these teams are going to be very, very surprised as they get closer to the ball games. I'm going to sell 
develop because I do think the Tennessee-Georgia scenario is very obtainable as long as one team doesn't get swept. Georgia beats Tennessee this week, but I think that if they play in the SEC championship game again, I don't think Tennessee loses again. Georgia will be undefeated. I think they'll split with each other and both get in. I definitely think Ohio State gets in. And Clemson, I don't believe, should have been number four. I thought TCU should have been number four. I don't think they're going to make it anyway. I think it'll be either them or probably Michigan, something like that. But I'm going to sell it because I think that the scenario is good for Tennessee because they don't have any money hard games left. All right, buy or sell. Sauce Gardner will hold Stefan Diggs under 100 yards. 100%. This is coming from a Jet fan, yes, but he leads the league for corners in almost every statistic in the NFL at his position. He is the best corner right now in the NFL in the first nine games, and absolutely, Diggs has not played a big man who can run with him as good as Gardner. I absolutely believe he will keep Diggs under 100 yards. Yeah, I'll buy it. I think it'll be something in the 80 range, but I do think he'll end up doing it because I think the game plan for the Bills is going to be a he lot. He won't even get close to 80. I think he'll end up getting a lot more with Josh Allen rushing in this game. The Robert Salas defense had trouble with that in the past. I think the running backs are going to be a little more interval in the slot guys. I don't think it'll be as much Stephon Diggs. He'll have some good catches, good routes, but I don't think he'll have 100 yards like we've seen all season long. So I am going to buy it. Agree with you on that. Buy or sell. Sean Marks will be fired within the next month. I'm going to sell that. I don't think in the next month but I do believe he's going to be fired at the end of the year, so I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm thinking the same way. I'm going to sell it, too. I think he'll be fired at the end of the year. It's just like too much all at once that's happening. Who knows what the next end of drama will be, but yeah, I'll sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. Either the Mets or the Yankees will end up with Carlos Correa in the offseason. I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to be the Mets, not the Yankees. Now, if the Yankees lose Aaron Judge, it could be the Yankees. So if they keep Aaron Judge, he goes to the Mets. If they lose Aaron Judge, he goes to the Yankees. So I absolutely buy it. I'm going to sell it. I just think the Yankees are also liking a lot of what they've seen with the younger shortstops, too, that I don't think they're going to really rush They're going to move them to second base. It, it's possible. I, I mean, yeah, they could trade Glaber Torres. That's what I think they're going to do. But I think the Yankees will definitely pursue some other things if they if get more pitching depth because they're going to lose a lot of pitchers in the offseason, too. And the Mets, I don't think they're right now in position to add just another infielder. If they're going to go for bats, they're going to go for outfielders or catchers. So I'm going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. Matthew Barzell will get his first goal of the season with the next five games. Oh, I absolutely buy it. He's too good of a goal scorer. He's too good of a player not to have any goals in the first 12 games that the Islanders have. Yes, I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think it's only a matter of time. Teams will key in on him, force him to shoot a lot more, and Matt Barzal himself will be able to have some more confidence in his shot. talented. Yeah, so I I agree with you. I will buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. Both Geno Smith and Kyler Murray will have 200-plus pass yards and 40-plus rush yards. I buy it. I think both players are great running quarterbacks. They can throw the ball. I think they're Both will have enough to throw the ball with D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And then obviously on the other side, Hopkins over there and the weapons that they have over there with the Arizona Cardinals. So you absolutely buy all of that that you said. I am going to sell it. I actually think Kyler Murray will have the rushing yards. Geno Smith won't. And Geno Smith will have the passing yards. And Kyler Murray won't. Because I think the Seahawks secondary... Geno's run the ball pretty well. But I think the Cardinals defensive scheme, the way it's an outside rushing scheme, is good to contain that kind of thing. I think Walker runs the ball well on the outside, but I don't know if Geno Smith does as well. They'll get more through the air, and Kyler Murray will get a lot on the ground, so I'm going to flip-flop it. I am going to sell it. One more college football one. LSU covers minus 13.5 at home against Alabama. I think they cover, but I still think they lose, so I'll buy that, but they're going to lose. Yeah, I'll buy it too, because Alabama's defense has been very suspect recently as well. Even a lot of the games, even before the Tennessee game, they weren't playing as well as their generational defense was supposed to be this year. And by the way, Alabama makes the Final Four. So you're thinking that Tennessee gets knocked out from Alabama. I think Tennessee is going to be knocked out by Georgia. Well, yeah, Alabama right. will move up They'll into the top it. four. And 
Alabama's not losing another game. Gotcha. I'll definitely buy that, though. They cover, but they will not win. All right, buy or sell. Derrick Henry will have 120-plus rushing yards against the Chiefs. Absolutely buy it. He's the only one that's going to have any yards or anything in that game. I don't trust the Kansas City Chiefs' uh, front seven on stopping the run. They have played better in the run over the last couple of weeks. This is a complete different beast, so I absolutely buy it. I am going to sell it for the reason of he'll have his big carries, but I do think they're also going to be far behind in the game where they're not going to be able to run the ball as much anymore. Now, we've seen Derrick Henry still, when they're behind by 10 or something like that, still run the ball a lot, but I don't expect it. I think the Chiefs will get a huge lead in the first half and just take over. They're a second-quarter team, and I think they'll have a big lead at the half, so I am going to sell. I just don't think they'll get enough carries. All right, last one. The World Series will go to a Game 7. I'm going to buy it. I think Zach Wheeler can do it. Everybody keeps talking about his injury, Andy Pettit-esque. I think he's going to go out there in game number six and give the Philadelphia Phillies a gem. They'll get an early lead in the game with some power in that lineup, and they win it, and they take it all the way to game seven, and it's anybody's ball game. So absolutely buy it. Well, we're both being very predictable. I had Astros in six. I'm going to stick with it. Valdez has been very good, too. I think you're going to get a great pitcher's jewel. I think Zach Wheeler will pitch inspired, kind of like Zach Grinke did for the Astros in game seven against the Nationals. I think they'll both play well, and I think the Astros will just hit it late. I mentioned that as kind of a down for them in this series. I think they'll win it late, seventh, eighth inning and they'll take it home Astros win it in six I am going to sell it ladies and gentlemen that is it for our show I hope everybody had a good time thank you to our very special guest Washington Nationals radio play-by-play broadcaster Charlie Slows he's fantastic I want to give a shout out to our Moneyline Mania team that were not on tonight they'll be back next week with their great picks if you're following that guys you're going to win money listen to our top handicappers they're all over the country they're the best of the best they are 84 and a half percent right nine months they've been on a show they've given you winners if you want to make money keep listening to the show next week they'll be back from the breeders cup thank you to all the fans thank you for all the people that listen to our show throughout long island throughout the country on iHeartRadio. keep listening to the sports loud mouths on the worldwide sports radio network check out our app we'll be on wednesdays and thursdays thank you thank you thank you we'll talk to you next week good night